Hey, it's great to be uh, back with you. We've, we've, Marion and I were on holiday for a couple of weeks, which we thoroughly enjoyed. Um, went to uh, East Sussex for a while and, and then to Suffolk and did some bird watching and some walking. It's lovely. I mean, we like doing that sort of thing. So we're old now. A bit and visited grandchildren and stuff as well, but it was, it was fun and we, we, we enjoyed our break. So we were back with you last week and enjoyed very much the prayer meeting, a superb time. And I've listened to the two talks Steve would have done while I was away on Streams in the Desert, which were excellent and inspiring. And I realised listening online wasn't the same as being here. Clearly, when Steve spoke on prayers, God sort of really stirred something in your hearts towards the end. And it was, you could hear it, but it was a bit frustrating. Thought, wow, that sounds good. There's a great time there. But I tasted a little bit when we got to the prayer meeting. And I'm picking up this morning the continuation of our series on streams in the desert from Isaiah under the title Faithful Witnesses. And uh, I've been quite challenged and stirred as I prepared this myself, and I I think that's always a good thing. And so hopefully that will come through. We won't have a long reading from Isaiah. We will uh, look at three short sections, well, short verses, just a couple of verses really, when we get to the need them, to read them. But we are going to look at three very important truths this morning that come through from Isaiah and indeed through much of the Bible. And I'll just tell you what they are before we start with the first one. Simple but very important. God's heart, first of all, is for the whole world. Then God's people are his witnesses in this world. And thirdly, God's news really is good news. So we're just going to look at those things and unpack them. And we're going to start off with God's heart for the whole world. I'm afraid I haven't got my monitor, so Luke and you and I are going to have to sort of make sure we connect. Because it's not easy to be the guy doing my PowerPoints, uh, because I'm not always totally predictable. Oh, it's on. Oh, praise the Lord. Where did that happen? Thank you. Thank you. Good. I can see what you're looking at now. Um, Right. God's heart is for the whole world. So let's look at one verse from Isaiah 49, verse 6. You can pop that up, please, Luke. This is Isaiah 49, verse 6. He, that is the Lord, the Lord God, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Now, God has always had a heart for the whole world and for every nation. After all, in the first place, God made us all. And before ever we got to any modern ideas, good ones that they are, about the oneness of humanity and unity, there is a fundamental oneness in the Bible. We all come from one source, Adam and Eve. So although there's been evolution of a degree, really, and change as we've developed into different tribes and nations and peoples. Some of it's been totally positive, some of it's not positive. It's been through wars and rebellions, but in the end, we're scattered all over the earth, but we're all one people. God made us one. God made one as humanity from one couple, and that's always important to remember. No race is superior to another race, no class to another class, no 
sex to another sex. No, no there's, not, there's not hierarchy in there. There is a, a, a certain equality that we all came from Adam and Eve. And God loves all people. And he made us for himself and to have relationship with him. Now the big problem, the biggest problem in the world is that men and women have turned their backs on God and gone their own way and rebelled against him. And that has multiple negative consequences of which we cannot list them all this morning. But the thing the Bible calls sin, which is doing bad stuff and feeling bad about ourselves and doing bad stuff to each other and having it done to us, all that sort of thing. But also, we've ended up worshipping a whole range of false gods. Sometimes literally false gods, other gods than the one true creator. Sometimes gods of our imagination. Sometimes, sadly, people are dabbling in demonic forces with certain religions and certain practices. And then probably always, but a little more today, we worship ourselves. We worship man. We are not looking to any God outside ourselves, and some would call themselves atheists. And all of Adam and Eve's fallen sons and daughters are scattered across the world, and most of them have turned their back on God. And yet God has always had a heart to bring an answer to all of them. And right from the beginning, we won't have this on the screen, it's not there, but right from the beginning, Genesis 3.15, right at the time when the crisis of the fall came, there was a promise of the seed of the woman ultimately bruising the serpent's head. And it's a mankind promise. It's, a na- it's all nations promise. It's a world promise. It's not to one people. Well, out of the morass of human rebellion and sin, God chooses one man, Abraham, and calls him to carry that promised seed. But right at the beginning, God has a world vision. Let's put up, thank you, Luke, Genesis 12, and see what God says to Abraham. Right in those early, early days, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's always God's goal. That's where he's going. Now he, from Abraham, had one nation which weren't made special because they were clever or special, just God's choosing. And his purpose even with Israel was that they should be a nation of priests. Now there's all sorts of titles given to them by God back in Exodus 19. Again, it's not going to be on the screen because I haven't time to be too detailed. But one of the concepts of that is that Israel was meant to be priests to the world. In other words, they were meant to mediate God, show God's ways, bring God's truth to the world, and intercede, as it were, for the world to God, which is the priestly role. They were meant to do that. But sadly, they failed and they didn't. And so we come to the prophets speaking in, and that's where we pick up dear Isaiah. He's speaking into Israel. He's speaking into the people of God in that time in the Old Testament. And he says, and I'm only rereading what we read, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I've kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles and my, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, some people call that the Great Commission of the Old Testament, which is possibly an interesting way of describing it. But those verses are spoken to a character called the Servant of the Lord. If you read your Isaiah, you'll see that's the context. And this Servant of the Lord is a little bit of a mysterious figure in Isaiah. 
I don't think many of us quite understand. We probably have a better idea uh, what Isaiah is always talking about, who he's talking to with the servant of the Lord. Sometimes it seems to be Israel. Sometimes it's himself as a prophet. But sometimes, more often, there's a, clearly a mysterious figure who, who is both a suffering servant and a king and, and other features there. I'm, I'm not sure Isaiah fully got it, and I think he didn't. The New Testament tells us people like Isaiah were like looking through smoke glass, like looking through dark glass, trying to see something. They felt it in the spirit. They got a wonderful promise, but they only got glimpses of what it might mean. This servant king, this servant who's a victorious king, who suffers and dies and all sorts of things, born of a virgin. It's all little glimpses there in Isaiah. The servant of the Lord is clearly more than Israel. Indeed, He's called to serve Israel in some of the prophecies. He's clearly more than a prophet. He's more than a mere man. He, this servant of the Lord is the hope of the world. He's the light of the world. And it's only in the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ that a lot of Isaiah makes sense, including this bit. And then it begins to come together. Then it's clear. Now this is how it is between the Old and the New Testament. There's a little saying, you'll have often heard me say it, I'm sure, if you've been here for any time. There's a little saying that says, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And that's how it works with the Old and New Testament. In fact, I I don't prefer, I like also a, a metaphor I read once, that the Old Testament's a bit like an old stately home beautifully made, beautifully furnished, paintings on the wall, but the curtains are heavy curtains. They're drawn, and there's maybe just a little candle in there, and you get a dim sense that this room is full of beautiful things, and you can see one or two, but you can't see many. And the New Testament, with Jesus and all that he brought, is like the curtains are pulled back, or the light switched on, or both, and suddenly you think, oh my goodness, yeah, that makes sense, Isaiah 53. You know, this, oh yeah, I see now, it's beautiful. Oh, that's how it works. Wow! I didn't realize there was so much in here. Now that's how we come to the Old Testament from the New Testament, after Jesus and all he's done. And the New Testament shows us that most of this material on the servant of the Lord is a prophetic pointer to Jesus and all he's done and will do and the gospel age and the new covenant age. And so this world vision is picked up clearly and boldly by Jesus and all that comes through the New Testament. We'll just have a quick look at a few verses, very quick. If you could put up um, those next ones, Matthew, uh, after the Genesis 1. So here we are, Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's Jesus speaking. Again, Jesus speaking. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's what we've been doing this morning. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Next one. Luke's uh, versions of the similar thing. The repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then Jesus again speaking, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Isaiah 49, verse 6, Isaiah is looking at the age we live in. He's really looking at Jesus 
with prophetic eyes and all that's going to come. And they got that in the New Testament. So one more of a reference. Look at Acts 13. This is Paul and Barnabas. And they are quoting, actually, Isaiah 49 verse 6. They literally quote it. Let me read it. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, talking to the Jewish audience, just rejected them. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. Get it? This is what the Lord commanded us. That is apostolic authority. That is, we are taking the command of Isaiah, he is now going to quote Isaiah 49, 6. That's what it is in our Bibles. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus promised it. The apostles got what he said and they looked back and they said, this is that. They did it again and again. Peter did it on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Spirit. This is that, but this is that as well. This, says Paul, as we go with this gospel, this is what Isaiah was longing for. Oh, that God would break in and bring light to all peoples. One day he will. There'll be a servant of the Lord that will go to the whole nation and be a light to the nations. Jesus is described as the light of the world. Wonderful, and he is. But he, amazingly, talks to his followers, his disciples, the church, and calls them the light of the world. You can read it in Matthew 5, 14. So, yes, Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus' people, his body, are the light of the world. So when Paul and Barnabas pick up Isaiah 49, verse 6, they are totally right. This is for us. This is, if you like, a command. We're made a light for the nations to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. God has always had a heart for the nations. There has been a long period of building up to the coming of Jesus. What a privilege to live after Christ. AD, in the year of our Lord, 2000 and what is it? 17. Yeah, I'm not too old yet. Near struggled for a moment. Uh, 2017. And, you know, here we are still, this word we've read this morning is for us. In Christ and through him, we are to bring light to the whole world. The Lamb of God was slain to take away the sins of the world. God wants us to get his heart for the world, to understand it, and to live out of it, and begin to implement it in our day and in our generation. Amen? It is right for us to have a heart for mission. This is about reaching our neighbours. We'll touch that again before the end of this morning. But it's also about having a heart for the nations, for all the scattered, lost sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, for all the, 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 the damaged and people in darkness. They're in darkness and we bring the light through Jesus. We must be a people who are conscious of that burden and conscious of that privilege uh, as we go about building church and thinking and praying. Let's go to the second simple but I believe important truth. God's people are his witnesses. And for that, I want to read Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 12. So let's read that. Thank you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. 
I, even I, am the Lord. Don't you love it? I love it. I love the way God speaks. Come on. There's one God. I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. (laughs) If anybody's going to know, you're going to have to tell them. You're my witnesses. That is how I've decreed it. That is how I've chosen it. You read it in the New Testament and you think, sometimes it's quite clunky. You know, there's there's a vision for Peter of a sheet and all animals in it and get up and eat and blah 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 meanwhile over here's Cornelius and he has a vision and a dream doesn't he and, and angels involved all sorts of characters from heaven if you like visions and dreams are involved but the point is the gospel is brought by Peter to Cornelius so God sometimes has to kick a Peter and open up the eyes and the heart of a Cornelius but in the end the gospel, the good news, the witnessing to the wonderful truth of God comes from a person who's a follower of Jesus to one who is not yet follower. Isn't that right? And it's still how it is. So there's all sorts of miraculous stuff can happen and God can lead and guide and providential. But in the end, we're the witnesses. And if we don't shine, the light doesn't shine. It's as simple as that. Now, in a way, I've already done the work I need to do on this because I was going to say this Isaiah passage, which again in context clearly is challenged to Israel and to Isaiah himself, is for us. Now you've seen that already from what I'm doing. I'm only going to make a few quick passing references. But I want to say to you very clearly, I have huge love and respect for Jews and for Israel. They are our older brothers. They are the ones who, from whom Jesus came. and from, He's the root of David. It's wonderful. This is not about race, but since Jesus came, the people of God are the people who are in Christ Jesus. Now, when the New Testament's written, and that point is made very clear in many places, but not least in Ephesians, when the New Testament is written, a huge number of those would have been ethnic Jews. Fine, because they'd followed their Messiah Jesus. We see priests even being converted in large numbers in Acts 7. But actually, we can't deal with the historic detail. Things have moved on. But the fact hasn't moved on. Whether you're Jew or Gentile or any other race, those of you who are in Christ are God's people on earth today. It's not an ethnic issue. It's an issue, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And those in Christ are God's people today. And in a sense, the baton has been passed on. You can get it by reading um, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 and 12. And you can, you can see that there is a, like a continuum through history of God's people. It doesn't start with Moses. It's way back. It starts with Abel. And there are God's people, Enoch and Noah. And God has these people who are his witnesses. And it goes down through history. The baton's passed on. The baton's passed on. And it comes to Jesus, who's more than that. He's a climax of it all. And his people pick up the baton in this age. This is the age of the fulfillment or climax of the ages. I don't know how long it's going to go on, but this will be the last one. Jesus will bring it to an end one day. And in this age, the climax of the ages, this is teaching in 1 Corinthians 10. In this age, the fulfillment of the ages, the people of God are the Jesus people. The people are in Jesus. So these verses I've just read to you directly apply to us. We are 
his people. Let me give you a couple of verses from Peter. If you could put those up, please. These are written to Christians. Now, I think this is particularly interesting. If you are a little bit switched on on the detail, this is Peter, the apostle to the Jews, not Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, though both of them were thoroughly orthodox Jewish men in their background. But Peter is writing to people like you and me, Christians, followers of Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Later, same chapter. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, this terminology is the stuff you'll pick up in Exodus 19 directly. But it's not. It's applied to the followers of Jesus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The church of God in history will involve all of those wonderful people mentioned in Hebrews 11 and many, many more, all who've walked by faith in their day and in their age and in their generation and been God's people, if you like. In our day and generation, that's those who follow Jesus. And the church of God, and the church doesn't mean an institution, it doesn't mean a building, it means a people, a people. It's a people word. Church is a people word. It's only a people word. It's ever, all it ever is in the Bible. It's never a building word, and it's never an organization word. It's a people. It only means a gathering of people. The church is the people gathered to Jesus. Gathered to Jesus. And the church of Jesus Christ are the people of God on the planet today. We are his witnesses. We are God's people. As Peter said, once you were not a people... Now you are the people of God. Really, your first allegiance is not to Britain. It's not to your race or your uh, uh, history, human history. Your first allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to his people. Of course we're to be good citizens. Of course we're to be better than most. We're to be lights in the darkness. But actually, first and foremost, I see myself as one of Jesus' people. And I am closer to another believer and follower in Jesus from another race than I am to a non-follower of Jesus from my own race. Okay? That's how it works. We are one in Christ. And that's our allegiance. And we are his witnesses. There is no plan B that the church fails and then some other connivance comes up that people draw out from Scripture. You know, and suddenly uh, somebody else says, no. It's the followers of Jesus who are going to be witnesses to the world until the end comes. Now, I look to see, and I expect to see, and I pray to see, more actually of ethnic Israel grafted back in before the end. But they've got to be grafted into Christ. They've got to receive him as their saviour and Messiah and Lord. Not, it's not out of their ethnicity alone, but I believe God will probably do something like that. You can read that in Romans 9, 10, 11. But, sort of revival, if you like, amongst Jews. But that is not the main thing, if I dare say it, as a sideshow. The issue is we've got to go to every nation. 
It's not a sideshow for those who have a burden for it. Don't mishear me. But the issue is we've got to go to every nation. There'll be representatives from every nation and tribe and tongue in heaven. It is a great privilege to be part of Jesus' church. We are blessed, enormously blessed, but there is a huge responsibility that comes with that privilege. We are his witnesses to the world. And becoming one of God's people carries that. Now, thank goodness we are not left alone in that. Let's look quickly at two references before we move to the third point. Matthew 28, if you could pop that one up. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is with us right to the end, and he's with us when we're witnessing to him. And let's pop up Luke 24, just one of several verses I could have chosen. Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Uh, But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now you know, if you know your Bible, that's referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of Christ, God with us, the actualization of everything Jesus is promising. So as we go as witnesses, we do not go alone. Jesus is with us, and he's with us literally through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is in us. We are the corporate Christ. We do the works he did on a far grander scale. We do pray for the sick. We do see miracles. We do proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. We proclaim good news for the poor. We proclaim liberty for the captives. Everything he said, we say. And in a sense, he's multiplied himself throughout the world. There's one body of Christ, anointed with the anointing. He's, Christ means anointed. He's the Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the anointed ones. And we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the works, words, and bring the words of the kingdom and, and the wonders of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. And in that, we are his witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's exciting. But it's going to get better in the last 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 25 minutes. No, no, 10 minutes, 15. The last point. The God's news is good news. Now, just get this right in your spirit. Because our culture is really against God often. It's always sneery and nasty. God's God, why does he allow the suffering? And all? Now, I understand that. I'm slightly mocking, but I do understand it's got to deal with those questions all the time. But actually, we've got to come back on the front foot. God's news is good news. It's good news. Yes, it's a sin-sick, suffering world. It really is. Tell me about it. I've been a pastor 30, 40 years. I've wept with people, buried people, prayed for people. You know, I know it's a sin-sick world. I know what sin can do. I know, I know it's damaging an individual's life. I minister to people who've been in all sorts of things. Now, so, so don't, you know, I'm not being naive. But God's news is good news to all in whatever depths they are and wherever they are. Let's read the final bit from Isaiah I want to read, which is Isaiah 57 and verse 52, beg your pardon, and verse 7. Thank you. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. 
Now this is a wonderful, just a picture of those who are bringing God's news to others. It's a picture that we need a little bit of explanation on because we don't, this is pre-television, it's pre-24-hour news, it's pre-social media, you know that, you know all that. So what happened when a battle was won? What happened when a nation like Israel was fighting against a much worse and higher, big, nasty enemy and a battle was won that broke the power of the enemy? Well, what happened was messengers ran from the scene of the victory and the battle, ran. They were skilled. They were like the marathon runner. I think that's where it starts from, the very word of marathon. I think it happened in Greece. They, they were fast-trained runners, and they ran with the news to the king and the waiting people that the, the battle was won, or sadly lost sometimes, but this is obviously the context of winning, that the battle was won. They are heralds. They run with the news. Their feet are beautiful because they bring good news. And in this case, and it would be the case if it was a major victory, peace. The war has ended. The enemy's power's broken. We're at peace. And then we're saved. <laughs> the enemy has 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 no longer got a hold on us. We're no longer his slaves. We are free from his power. We're saved. This is good tidings. We've won. Now, the gospel is that news for us. But you see, we're so self-centric. We say, well, we've won. I don't feel I've won. No, no, this is about Jesus. In Jesus, we've won. And this news, there is no doubt. Jesus has died. He's won. He's risen. Sorry, he's victorious. He's won the battle. And you share his victory. It is good news. Peace with God? You can have peace with God. How? Because you're better than you were? Rubbish. Because you're any good? You're no good. Nor am I. You're rubbish. I'm rubbish. How can you have peace with you? You're a sinner, feeble little nobody. No, no. Sorry, go home. It's fine. You're going to be built up in a minute, but not in yourself. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ, the blood of his cross. You put faith in Jesus. You come into Jesus. You do what we've demonstrated in baptism. You say, I've died to my old life. I now live for Jesus, and everything he has is yours. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You become a child of God on the same standing as Jesus Christ. Co-heir, joint heir, how much more do you want? You know, you come in to the Father as the child on the basis that God has made you a child of God, born of the Spirit through what Jesus has done. He's your brother. He calls you. It's amazing. At the end of the Gospels, you know, you watch it subtly. Uh, Jesus calls them friends, which is lovely. But after the resurrection, he says, go and tell my brothers. I mean, we are friends, but we're also brothers. We're, We're family. We have peace with God. It is very, very, very good news. The power of Satan is broken. Why? Because the power Satan had in your life was the power of your sin and rebellion. And it was legal power. You were at odds with God and he could operate. You can see it again in Genesis. As soon as they rebel against God, Satan's got influence. Now, 
That power's broken because the wrath of God, and there is a wrath, there's a holy judgment of sin, is satisfied in Jesus. And through Jesus, I am justified. Now, that is a legal term, meaning I am a totally exonerated, I am rendered innocent, just as if I'd never sinned. It's an easy way to remember what it means. Justified. In Christ, you are totally clean. You have the righteousness of Christ. How's that? John Groves is still John Groves, but he's seen as having the same righteousness as Christ. He's clothed in Christ's righteousness. And therefore, totally acceptable to the Father. That is not, you know, oh, all the things I've done wrong. Yeah, well, I can't find any, says God. The, the books are blank. Why are they blank? Well, he's blotted them out. That's Bible. He's blotted them out. They're gone. He remem- does not remember us anymore. They're removed as far as the east is from the west, which is a jokey way of saying they've gone eternal distance apart. They can never connect again. So actually, I, have, I am pure in the eyes of God through Jesus. I'm righteous. Satan has no rights in my life anymore. He has no ground. And I need to stand on that. I say, well, I'm victorious. Now, that can begin to operate practically in loads of ways. The Holy Spirit is here to actualize that. So I begin to change in the way I My mind's renewed. I begin to walk in it. I mean, it's a, you know, how long have you got? Because, you know, there's a lot to say here. But there's a lot of exciting news here. But you have victory through Christ. And it changes everything. It changes your expectation of all sorts of things. It goes on and on and on. It is wonderful. We have the gift of eternal life. There is the potential for healing and deliverance from demonic power. In fact, more than the potential, we're delivered from the power of the enemy. There's hope for the future. A life different, we sang it in some of our songs, a totally different prospect for after my death, to be with him forever. And in this, in Christ, in this gospel, I have security, identity, purpose. It's wonderful news. This is wonderful news, isn't it? And no wonder the people who bring it have got beautiful feet. What news? And it's good news for all. As the angel said, on the day Jesus was born, this is good news of God's favour to all mankind. He's back on his world mission. Well, he's been on it all the time. But he's finally climaxing it. So here is the potential for all to be blessed. It is. Whoever will may come. This is good news on a grand, grand scale. Now you may be here this morning, and we're going to pause for a moment right here. You may be here this morning and say, look, he's clearly excited. I'm not. He being me. I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Well, I'm going to take you for two minutes through something simple, and I'm going to say what to do after it. Let me say to you, whoever you are and whatever you've done and wherever you come from and whatever you're battling with, you can come into this victory now. You can know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, your Deliverer, your Redeemer, your hope and all the stuff I've said. You can be washed clean from all the stuff you feel guilty about or disturbed about or feel your failures and your disasters. It can all be dealt with. Now, in a way, it's simple and it's very simple. You just pray a prayer, rather like I'm going to give you a chance to do in a moment. And if you do it sincerely, you've done it. And the deed is done. The the change has happened. 
But in another way, it's not so much complicated, it's only the beginning of a new life. So you've got to live out this victory. I mean, imagine this, uh, this the herald comes with the good news of victory, that's great. But think of the, all the process of rebuilding. I mean, just look at some of the war-torn countries of the world. So peace is wonderful. We had it ourselves in Europe. You know, victory day, people dancing in the streets. Well, I'm not sure we've fully recovered in some ways yet. That, that, but, you know, the economies and all the rest of it. So there's an outworking of this, but it's much better than that. But there's an outworking which will go on through your life. But boy, is it better than still being at war with God and still being under condemnation. Now, if you want to start that journey this morning... I'm going to quietly read this prayer. Make it your own. And then I'll say what to do afterwards. Don't worry, I'm not going to lead you to come to the front and give you a testimony or something. So don't resist it. It's nothing public. I'm just going to direct you what to do. So this little prayer could be yours. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please, Lord, forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. I do not want to continue that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. I gladly receive your gift of cleanness and forgiveness and I ask for you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and help me to live a new life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that and meant it as best you knew how. There's two things I'd like you to do this morning. You could do one of them, or you could do both. So these are the two things. One, you could come to me, and I'll give you this little book, which is called Why Jesus, and explains a little bit what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what you've just done in that prayer. The other thing is you can go to the Connect Point, which is over there, and say, I want to come on the Alpha course that we're starting this week. Because that will explain it more to you. You've already made a decision, but that will just help you to understand it. We're not going to make you join this church, but that will help you to understand it. You can join it if you want to. Now, I suggest you do both. You come and get the book from me, which is actually by the guy who wrote the Alpha Course anyway, and then you go and sign up for the Alpha Course. But you can choose either. But if you prayed that prayer, please don't just leave it at that. Because that is important, but it is literally the first step of a journey. It's literally the the birthing process of a life. And and you just need to know a little more about where to go from here. You understand? So we're not going to make you sign up for anything. But I do encourage you to go to the Connect Point or get one of these from me. Let's just come towards a conclusion for us as followers of Jesus, of which if you've prayed that prayer, you are one as well. We've been talking about we're heralds of this good news. But this good news is not just words. And obviously I haven't got time to unpack this. We are witnesses. We are the good news. Let's use the words differently. We are the good news. We bring good news. So we don't just speak things, though we do speak some things, but we demonstrate things to people. 
I've been very blessed by a couple of, uh, by a book I read for the board at West Point called The Way of Blessing by Roy Godwin. Uh, and he's written another book, the first book actually, The Grace Outpouring. He's somewhere in Wales, which I would dare not to, pron- to pronounce. I look at Steve, quite nervously at Steve. Two Fs, A-L-D, hyphen Y, hyphen B-R-E-N-I-N. Okay, okay. a lot of you know what I'm talking about, good. I'm still not going to venture to say it. But basically, the, the point is not, it's good to go there if you want to and that sort of thing. It's more the teaching. He's got this really clearly about us being a blessing. Part of our testimony is blessing people. And then we do bring words. Let me give you one little quote from his book. We bear witness, because that's what we're talking about, by the way that we live, and then by naming the name of Jesus. So often we've reversed the order and created a barrier too big for people to leap over. They need to see that we are all right before they listen to our message and consider whether God is all right. How will they know know we are trustworthy and full of integrity unless our living matches our words and we walk the talk? And obviously a lot more, but there's a sense in which we do bring blessing. We don't have to start by speaking. We show love, we show care, we give, uh, we pray for the sick, we, uh, I think, impact our friends and our community. And I really mean, let's ground this in reality. The open house, is the open house thing on the 14th of October, it's a, 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 not amusing, a light thing, it's a fun thing. Just to bring your friends and let them have a good few hours in here and enjoy what we're doing is beginning to be a witness to God's goodness. Just to bring them to something, just to share with them the good news, maybe to show care and love when they're sick and worried. These things are actually part of being a witness. I think as a church, when we do the soup service or CAP and other things, the ark, and and people come along and we just show them, to use his words, uh, witness by the way we live and to show them we're all right. (laughs) No, 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 we're not, you know, it's okay. And this is what God's like. We are his hands and feet. We're his mouth. Yes, we do speak about things. I've, I've enjoyed a, a, a CD, a worship CD by Jesus Culture called uh, Love Has a Name. And the title song is that. Love has a name. Jesus. Victory has a name. Jesus. Joy has a name. Jesus. I won't sing it to you. It's much nicer to listen to it. It's worth getting it. But that is so good. You know, we talk about love, but there is a name. In the end, get to the name. (laughs) You might not start with the name, but there's a name, Jesus. Jesus is behind this. This is my freedom. This is my joy. This is my victory. This is my message. Now, the message may be packaged differently. Paul packages his message very differently to the Athenians to compare to going into the synagogue. You can read that in Acts. But he always gets round to Jesus. And he always gets round to Jesus crucified and victorious and raised from the dead and the hope of the world. Because he is the hope of the world, isn't he? So it might be all sorts of ways we can bless people, but just weave into it that love has a name, Jesus. Joy has a name. Victory has a name, Jesus. And don't be under pressure. The response of people to what we do is not our responsibility. That's, if you like, profoundly God's responsibility and the people's responsibility, perhaps more understandable. You know, in the end, we leave the consequences up to others. That's what it means to be a witness. And this is the last point I want to make. 
You are my witnesses to this wonderful good news. It is good news, but we can't force people to see it as good news. But we can tell them about it or demonstrate it. But the consequences are not up to us. I was chatting to Jonathan uh, about this, this sermon briefly, and he said, how, I, I hope I do this uh, service, how he, when he was uh, in Darlington, he had a, a guy with learning difficulties, I think, who had to be a witness in court, and this guy was getting such a mess about it, so uptight, so stressed, and he said, I had to keep going over it with him. He said, and the thing I learned, said Jonathan, was what a real witness is. A witness is only required to tell their story truthfully. You are not required to worry about what other people are saying and does this and what are the consequences of this and that. That's for the judge, that's for the court. That's for, you've just to go, go in and say what you saw and what you know and stick to that. I, it was about a, a robbery. I saw this man coming out of that building with this, this. I saw it, yes, yes on that day. And, and you stick to it. Now, that's lovely because that's all we do. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I can't answer all the questions. I don't know about suffering and other religions. I don't know. What about evolution and creation? Tell them what you know about Jesus. Show them the love of Jesus and then explain it from your perspective. That's what a witness does. A witness is not meant to cover all the bases. Others take responsibility for what, what's done with your testimony. Amen?